First of all, I would like to express my deepest appreciation for the kindness of our pastor. You know, if you're a former pastor and you come on the scene, sometimes some preachers have heebie-jeebies. But I assured Nathan that we, Peter and I are going to be his finest cheerleaders, and we're going to keep that word, and we love this church. It's hard for me to believe this 54 years ago that I preached my first sermon in this place, but I guess that's a commentary on me, not so much on you. Before I go further, we have two special families here today. Well, many are here, but two above all. We have two ladies that gave this church over 50 years of their life on our staff. One was Joanne James, and the other was Betty Huey. They are here. They are not with members of this congregation, but they're friends of this congregation. And we need to give them an applause. Would you people stand? They're right here on the first row early. Stand up, Betty, Joanne. Thank you for everything you did for us. Well, you well know that tomorrow is July the 4th. It's Yankee Doodle Dandy time. It's an exciting time. Uh, I think I'll get my trombone and get on the side porch and play Yankee Doodle Dandy, and this land is your land, and my, much to the peril of the, car, of the neighborhood. But it's a fun time. It's a fun time because we celebrate our freedom. Freedom is an itch which all humanity has to scratch. And we have been blessed in this country far beyond our poor power to add or detract. And not only is it a time to celebrate with cookouts, parades, fireworks, you name it, it's a time to remember I can recall two things that stand out in my memory of Vita and my trips. One was when we went to the battleship Arizona in Pearl Harbor. I was 10 years old when Pearl Harbor came. I remember it vividly on a Sunday afternoon when I was in the back seat of a 33 Plymouth with my brother and sister and Mr. Hester came out with the churn our ice cream freezer. We had loaned it to him that had a social at his Sunday school class. He was crying. I thought, what in the world? He said, John, Adam, have you heard the news? Well, we never turned the radio on on Sunday. We were always getting ready to go to church. He said, the Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. They bombed the Philippines. We've got a son in Manila, and we haven't heard from him. He was in tears. And that was such a shock to me. My dad drove 50 miles an hour on a gravel road out to my grandparents' house, and we turned on a battery radio and listened the rest of the afternoon to the report. And when we went to that hallowed ground of the Arizona, there's an interesting thing about it, and I want to be accurate about this, so with your grace, I'll refer to my notes. When you go to the Arizona, there are 1,102 sailors and marines still buried beneath your feet. And there they were on a Sunday morning. Most of the crew had gone in with a pass over the weekend to town. Little did anybody realize what was going to take place. There before you are all the names of them. 
And you didn't hear anybody laughing or kidding around. It was a very, very reverent situation. Another time, we had the privilege of visiting Omaha Beach and the cemetery there, Colleyville Samir, and there are 1,100, 9,386 personnel buried in front of you. Acre after acre after acre of crosses. And Vita and I looked at each other and wept. And up on the facing of the entry, the visitor center, it said, they gave all their tomorrows that we might have our todays. You know, Jesus was standing in the temple and he says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed in John chapter 8. And I want us to think this morning about the freedom we have, not only politically and not only in reverence to our country, which is the finest country in this world with all of our shortcomings, but also the freedom which we have in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to his sacrifice at Calvary, indeed. You know, freedom isn't free. Years ago, we were at Oklahoma State, pastored there for five years, and up with people came. There's about 50 of them, college students. They sang, freedom isn't free, freedom isn't free. You gotta pay a price, you gotta sacrifice for your liberty. And I began to think about that. And when you think back concerning political freedom, Let's do a little homework. Our nation has been involved in 35 wars or peace endeavors in our history. And in turn, for that, we have had 1,310,000 people give their lives that you and I can sit here today and worship without disturbance. We owe those folks a great deal of gratitude. When I think about all the wars we've had, I remember as a kid going to see Sergeant York, Gary Cooper, many of you remember that, moving, moving. Grew up over here, as you know, uh, not far from us, over in Fentress County, to the east of us. Uh, lived kind of a profligate life. Uh, found a great deal of solace as he became a believing Christian. He felt like that taking life was against God's principles and World War I breaks out. And the next thing you know, the preacher talks to him and convinces him that he needs to be a part of making the world, as was said, safe for democracy, the war to end all wars. You remember 1914, 1918? So he joins the military. He's an incredible sharpshooter. And in the Battle of the Meuse and Argonne in 1918, here's what happened. He killed 28 Germans. He silenced 32 machine guns by himself. And he captured 132 prisoners. That's what you call sacrifice. Then again, World War II comes along, and over there is over there again. 
And in Farmersville, there was a 17-year-old kid that volunteered for the military. Nobody would take him. He only weighed 145 pounds. He was about five feet nine. And his name was Audie Murphy. He tried to get into the military. They wouldn't take him for so long. And finally, he did get into the military. And guess what? He was the most decorated soldier of World War II. Here's his pedigree. He received 27 medals for bravery. He killed 240 Germans, most decorated soldier of World War II. And when he got out of the military in 1945, he was only 21 years old. Sacrifice. The thing that moved me as I've read the history of World War II, for I lived through that, and every day we, we saw it on the news, we heard it in the movie tone theater, we saw it in the newspapers, that's all we had from 1941 to 1945, and those are formative years for me. And I remember the story of the four chaplains. Here's the way it goes. On February the 3rd, 1943, the Dorchester, which was a ship that had been, a frigate that had been built before World War I. But we were so hard pressed with, in the convoys, losing so many ships that anything that floated, we put soldiers on. So the convoys in the North Atlantic, and on that night, the signal came that they were being followed by a wolf pack. That's a bunch of German submarines. It was torpedoed, and in a matter of 30 minutes, the ship sank. And the, everybody was scrambling around trying for a life vest. And there were four chaplains on that. Their names were Fox, Good, Washington, and Poling. One was a Jew, one was a Roman Catholic, one was a Presbyterian, the other was a Baptist. And in the shuffle, the chaplains were helping the soldiers put on life vests. And a young man looked at Dan Foley and said, I've lost my life vest. And he stood there a minute, and then he took his off and handed it to him. And when he did that, the other chaplains nearby did the same thing. And they gave their life vest away as the ship sank. Then they locked arms, and some near them that survived said the Catholic was saying, Hail Mary. The Jews were saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the Protestants were saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they drowned. There's a memorial to them. Google it. Freedom isn't free, but you know what? Spiritual freedom isn't free either. In that passage in John 8, Jesus is talking about the fact that the Son of Man is the one who came to seek and to save and make people free from the burden and the curse and the judgment of sin. You remember how he said to Nicodemus, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must I be lifted up, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all manner of men unto me. 
Did not Paul say in Romans, for scarcely for a man would one dare to die, yet peradventure for a good man others would dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah told us it would take place. The Savior would be a suffering Savior. He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the suffering servant, the sins of us all. And so it was that they took him and they nailed him to a cross. Let me tell you why Jesus was great. Spartacus was nailed to a cross, you remember? The Roman gladiator who led a group of gladiators to revolt against the authorities. And they nailed over 600 of them on crosses. And Spartacus could not come down, he died. But Jesus could have come down. He could have called 10,000 angels. When I was a kid, we had a beautiful girl, a lady, really, Janith Everett, who sang in the choir. And I remember, I don't, well, it, don't have any idea what age I was, but I remember how she stood up there and sang, why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Why should my Savior to Calvary go? Why should he love me so? And as a kid sitting on the front row, I was mesmerized. And I gave my heart to the Savior, as you gave your heart to the Savior. Yes, indeed. As Bonhoeffer said it well, if grace is free, how come it costs God so much? As you all know, Ms. Sherman and I and our family had the misfortune of losing our oldest son. His service was in this place. His casket was right there, 2015. For the first time in my ministry, it really hit me as to how much God suffered that day. And Jesus, typical in grace, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And because he died, we have freedoms. And what does that mean? I want to list them. The first thing, we are free from the condemnation of sin. Paul said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But he also wrote in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. As a high school kid, I used to hitchhike down to Waco because my brother and sister were in Baylor and we'd go to football games and I'd hitchhike back on Sunday afternoon in time for evening worship at Polly. And I remember I went to 7th and James and. A college student, of course, when you're a high school kid, college students seem like, you know, they're so mature. <laughs> and uh, 
I sat there next to my brother and sister, and a guy's named Duke Wheelis. I never will forget, he had a beautiful tenor voice. And he got up and sang at Seven and James Baptist Church. You ask me why I'm happy, and I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when I meet the scuffers who ask me where they are, I say, my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. I got so excited. I tell you what, you know, we're not supposed to be God's frozen people. Indeed, what a blessing it is to know that we have a Savior who went to bat for us, who takes away the condemnation, but there's more. We are free from the power of temptation. When you and I become a Christian, we don't get away from temptation, but the power of temptation is broken. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and just and will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. And that's a wonderful thing to know. God's Spirit lives within us. Did not Paul say to the Corinthians, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Henceforth glorify God with your body and your spirit, both of which are His. And that's marvelous, but there's more. We're free to become the person God would have us to become. Saul of Tarsus, was a true blue Jew. Went to rabbinic school, got his PhD, was serious about Judaism. He thought this new business of Christianity was a shame, a sin. He wanted to stamp it out. He persecuted the Christians, but he had an encounter in Acts 9, as you well know, on the Damascus Road. And he said, Lord, who are you? And the voice from heaven and the light said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And you know what he said? What would you have me to do? We do not have a work salvation. We do have a works discipleship. Once you and I are saved, we're to get off our backsides and make a difference in this world. We're to be light and salt. Did not James say, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self? You remember how the Thessalonians received the first letter Paul wrote? And he found out that they thought, well, Jesus may come back next week. Why should we get out there and uh, work so hard? And he found out about it and he wrote 2 Thessalonians. And what did he say? Quit being idle. Make a difference in this world. The difference that one can make. Oscar Schindler was a Nazi. Industrialist. Had plants in Bohemia and Czechoslovakia and Poland. He bribed the Gestapo to leave his Jewish workmen alone. 
and he saved the lives of 1,200 or more persons. He's the only Nazi buried on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem when he died. One person can make a difference. You and I well know that somebody in our lives made a real difference and brought us to Christ because of their witness, their ways, their words, their spirit. And that's the joy we have of becoming the person that we ought to be. After Paul met Jesus, you remember what he said to Philippians? According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And it was both. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. And it frees you and me up to become the person God wants us to become. But there's more. We are free to be a part of the family of God. I think one of the greatest miracles to me is the scripture says, but as many as received Jesus Christ to those he gave the power to become the members of the family of God. That means that you are in our sons and daughters. That means you and I can say father and we're speaking of God and Christ is our saving brother. He used to sit right here, right about where Ed's sitting. His name was, getting out of Drew Blank. Who's the guy, Vita? Uh, you know, he grew up in the Morphin's home up in uh, Clarksville. Uh, came here, uh, lost his wife. I married them in the chapel. Uh, my stars, I should have written it down. Joanne, you remember I came in and you said, uh, what's his name's in the hospital, St. Thomas? He has leukemia and is so far advanced, they're not going to treat him. I'll think of it in a minute, maybe. That's what you got to look forward to when you're 90, folks. <laughs> so I said, Carl Frady, there you go. How many of you remember Carl Frady? Some of you will. Sat right here. Now I go bouncing and say, Thomas, and Carl's got the bed propped up on a 45 and he's reading the newspaper. Now I recall, I said, Carl, how you doing? He said, well, I'm doing fine, preacher. And I thought, good grief. They said he had less than a, six weeks to live. The leukemia had gone so far medically, it would not be good to give him chemo. It wouldn't help. And he looked at me and says, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing so well. He said, well, how come you're not doing so well? I said, because of your situation, that's why. He stood right here on this platform with Devon Woods and Eugene Smith and Bill Claypool. They were our senior quartet. Some of y'all remember that. They sang beautifully. He had a wonderful voice. And he said, preacher, look at me. I've been singing about Jesus all my life. And within a couple of months, I'm going to see him. And I'm excited about it. And only the Christian can look death in the face and not flinch. Back in the 16th century, there was a man who lost a daughter and he wrote a poem. 
His name was John Doan. Death, be not proud, or even those whom thinks thou destroyest diest not for death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, and I shall awake eternally. Then death, thou shalt die. And about six weeks later, in this place, we had Carl's service. That's the freedom that God gives us when we trust the Savior, and the Spirit comes to live in us, and we can handle just about anything that life throws at us, though it's punishing and though it's painful. But remember, the 23rd Psalm has a key word in it, through. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and when Donnie left us, we walked through that valley, it was, it was crushing. But our valley and your valleys for your loved ones has an entrance and it has an exit, and we go through the valley, thanks be to God. And that makes a difference, but there's more. We are free to be useful in the building of God's kingdom. We're not here to build our kingdom. It's His kingdom. This isn't our church. This is His church. I appreciate what the poet said. I say not God Himself can do man's best without best men to help Him. Does God give skill? but not without man's hands, for God could not build Antonio Stradivari's violins without Antonio. And we're here to make a difference, letting our light shine and making everyone know that he is special to us. But there's more. We are free to overcome whatever life throws at us. Right up the country, Luther Bridgers left his wife and his children. He was a Methodist evangelism in the 19th century, and in southern Kentucky, he went to his in-law's house to leave them there. He was going to be in a revival down in Georgia. He took the train down. In the middle of the week, he received a telegram, there's been a fire at your in-law's home and your wife and children perished. Well, that's crushing. He went back and struggled, buried his loved ones, didn't preach for a while. Had a beautiful voice, could play the piano. And one day he was playing the piano for consolation, the great old hymns of the faith. And he said a melody came to him. And the words as well. And what came to him? There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still. In all of love's ebb and flow. Jesus, you sing it with me. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, 
Keep me singing as I go. God gave him a new wife. God gave him children. And I remember how Harry Emerson Fostick in his book on sermons told about visiting with Luther Bridgers in his senior years. And he said, my, what a witness, what an inspiration. If the sun shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. 1939, Eugene Bartlett, music secretary of the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, went to the doctor. He hadn't been feeling well. Doctor took various and sundry, as you would suspect, uh, this, that, and the other, checking things out. Came back the next day, and he said, Gina, I don't have good news for you. I'm sorry. You have aggressive pancreatic cancer. He said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you just probably have just a few months to live. Well, as you might suspect, if you hear that, uh, we've been down that trail. I had cancer for nine years. And it makes you have second thoughts about why you're here and what you're about. He struggled with it just like any one of us because we're human, we're not super. And then he began to write a beautiful hymn. I heard an old, old story how Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his, of his precious blood atoning, and I, and I received it of my sin. Oh, well, I, I can sing it, <laughs> but, uh, and you know what? The second verse, I heard about his healing, of his precious blood revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came to me and gave the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loves me ere I knew him, and all my life, in all the life, he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. You know what? I'd like for us to sing that as a closing hymn and a hymn of invitation because you may be here, you may be exactly like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He walked up Fleet Street one Sunday morning and there was 10 inches of snow on the ground and it was about 20 degrees Fahrenheit and he was so cold, everything was closed, but he walked by a church and it was open, but there weren't very many people there. The preacher couldn't get there. So a layman gets up and walks to the pulpit and he says, look unto me, all ye at the ends of the earth, and be ye saved, thus saith the Lord, for I am God, and there is no other. From Isaiah. And in the sermon, he looked back, Spurgeon, and he says, young man, you look troubled. 
You need to commit to your life to Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon walked in as a scoffer and walked out as a believer. And God used Spurgeon to move England in a powerful way in that tabernacle. He preached to three to 5,000 people every Sunday and preached the gospel. And you know what? The Lord can do that in our lives too. There's victory in Jesus when we have the freedom which he gives us by his death and resurrection. As Paul said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Let's pray. Our Father, how grateful we are this morning that we're recipients of your free grace. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's something that you give us. We don't understand it. It's beyond knowledge. But Augustine said it well, believe in order that thou mayest understand, for the heart hath reason that the mind knoweth not of. Lord, if there's anybody here that needs to get square with the Lord, we pray that they'll respond today as the invitation of your spirit. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and be with him. And it's a privilege to know you as our Father. We're thankful for the church and we're thankful for our faith. We're thankful for our country and we're thankful for the new freedom. As Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.